welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 157, To Hinder or Help. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. This week our reading assignment is Matthew chapters 11 through 12 and Luke 11. I'm really intrigued by a word that the Savior used during our readings this week. He used the word hinder when talking to the lawyers. He said in Luke chapter 12, verse 52, in the Joseph Smith translation version, Woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge, the fullness of the scriptures. Ye enter not in yourselves into the kingdom, and those who are entering in, ye hindered. Now, when Jesus is talking about the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the lawyers, I usually try to apply that to myself and ask if I am being like that. And in this particular scripture, I'm thinking, Am I hindering others from reaching the Savior? When I look up the definition of hindered, it said, create difficulties for someone or something, resulting in delay or obstruction. And then when I looked at the opposite of hinder, it's help. So am I hindering? Am I creating difficulty for someone, resulting in delay or obstruction to Jesus Christ? Or am I helping them reach Jesus Christ more easily? We're going to come back to that scripture in a little bit. First, let's talk about some other things. In these first four Gospels, we get a lot of healings and a lot of profound doctrine. And as Jesus preaches that profound doctrine, we read about a lot of pushback from the religious leaders of the day. Most specifically called out are the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers. But I I think sometimes I often overlook in my study of the New Testament That although there were a lot of people and leaders in that day that had twisted the law of Moses into something that it was never intended to be, there were also righteous priesthood holders and righteous women who had not lost the spirit of the law of Moses. We have lots of examples. Zacharias, who is John the Baptist's father, John the Baptist himself, Jesus's father, Joseph. We have Mary, his mother. We have Anna, the prophetess, who recognized the baby Jesus as the Savior at the temple. We have Simeon, who also met them at the temple, requesting of God that he not die till he sees the Savior. And that's not mentioning all of the followers of Jesus, whose names we don't know, who did accept the message of the Savior. So it's not just all Pharisees and Sadducees and lawyers, it's righteous people too. And what I'm thinking about today is within the church, let alone the world, but even just within the church, we have types. We have Pharisees and Sadducees and lawyers, and we also have righteous people who are pure of heart. And by righteous, I don't mean perfect. I mean people whose hearts are headed in the right direction, who love the Lord and who have pure intent. Now, I'd like to think that most of the time I fall in the latter category, but I don't think that's always true. I think in my life, I have fallen in the former category. And sometimes while I'm in the midst of my sinning, I'm going in that direction of being more like a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a lawyer. But the key is, is that hopefully I come back, I repent, and I get back on the Lord's side. So during Jesus's lifetime, We have unrighteous Jews who have twisted the law of Moses and made it performative beyond recognition, ignoring the spirit of the law and making it an elitist institution. Doesn't that sound familiar? I have seen it within the church. I've seen it occasionally within myself. I think we all have. So my question for myself always is, where am I in the scriptures in this? 
In this portion of the history of the world that I'm participating in, am I the one who has twisted the gospel, made it performative beyond recognition, and ignores the spirit of the law? Or am I the one that the Lord considers righteous, who has been endowed with power, as Nephi saw in our day? 1 Nephi 14.14 I beheld the power of the Lamb of God, that it descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb, and upon the covenant people of the Lord, who were scattered upon all the face of the earth. And they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. So which one am I? I think as I struggle to have the pure love of Christ at all times, I have been both in my life. But of course, my goal is to be the latter, to be someone who the power of the Lamb of God can descend upon so I can be armed with righteousness and the power of God in great glory so that I can help not hinder so that through him and for his glory, I can help in my small way help gather Israel and bring to pass the salvation of humanity. In these chapters, Jesus both tells us how and who he needs us to be, and also how not to be members of his church. In Luke chapter 11, verse 44, he is chastening the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are as graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are aware not of them which means that they are rotting and decaying on the inside, but on the outside, they don't even look like graves. What Jesus is describing is a masterful lie. Are we ever guilty of that? Do we have rot and corruption under the surface appearing on the outside to be something totally different? Now keep in mind that that rot and decay only happens when we're not using the atonement of Jesus Christ. So don't mistake that for imperfection. But what does that rot and decay of our hearts look like? We could list out an infinite number of of examples, but it might look like preaching forgiveness while withholding it intentionally from others, therefore rotting away at our heart. Proclaiming that we shouldn't cast stones while casting stones and feeling justified in it because the person that we're casting them out, we feel truly deserves it. I could keep going. But I think we can discern the difference And the Lord does differentiate between hypocrisy and just simple imperfection. We all sometimes preach one thing and then do another because we're imperfect. That's what the atonement is for. But that rot that the Savior is talking about is when our hearts are not changed, when we are doing what we think we need to do to look good on the outside, but not choosing that change of heart we gain by internalizing with a broken heart and a contrite spirit the gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 11 of Luke, starting in verse 45, The lawyers were offended as he was calling out the scribes and the Pharisees. They said, Master, thus saying, thou reproachest us also, meaning that by saying all of these things about the scribes and the Pharisees, you're also insulting us. Now, we think of the word lawyer meaning somebody who represents somebody else in a legal courtroom. But in biblical times, lawyer meant somebody who was a religious expert, specifically expert in Mosaic law. Someone who was instrumental in the creation and enforcement of all of the crazy rules and traditions that had become so burdensome and ultimately a distraction to the Jewish people. Jesus tells them, as a reply, that they give men terrible burdens and make no effort to help. He says, you build incredible monuments to dead prophets who your ancestors killed, pretending to be different than them, but your deeds show, by not accepting him right then, that if the prophets were here now, you would have killed them just like your ancestors did. And because of the condition of your heart, of which condition your father knows, prove you would have done the same thing. And so the blood of the prophets are on your hands as well. 
Now, just as a clarification, we are only accountable for our own sins. But what Christ is saying is that the condition of their hearts are no different than that of their ancestors. And so they will be held accountable for that. Are we ever high and mighty like these lawyers? Do we make up cultural rules and requirements for those around us that we expect them to follow, making the gospel burdensome that has nothing to do with the gospel or the doctrine and was never our business to enforce on anyone else anyway? Now, of course, we have bishops and high councils and the first presidency, etc., that do have stewardship over congregations and ultimately the people in those congregations and as such have the authority to exercise righteous judgment as the Lord has directed. But generally, as regular members of the church, we have stewardship over very little beyond our own families. And even those within our calling that we have stewardship over, there are limits. We have stewardship over a particular part of their experience, not their entire experience. Our job is to bear testimony of truth as God defines it and to live the gospel of Jesus Christ with charity, which is the pure love of Christ, and let that be the leader of our approach to the world. All right, we're going to go back to that first verse that we talked about at the very beginning, Luke 12, 52, Joseph Smith translation. Woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge, the fullness of the scriptures. That's the change that Joseph Smith, or the main change anyway, that he makes. For ye have taken away the key of knowledge, the fullness of the scriptures. Ye enter not in yourselves into the kingdom, and those who are entering in, ye hindered. As we live our lives as members of the church, do we ever focus so much on the performative that we lose the heart of the gospel and end up hindering people? Do we lose the fullness of the scriptures? When I think of the fullness of the scriptures, I think of the love of God. Without the love of God, the scriptures would not be the fullness. I think that's what's, it just tops it off. It makes it the fullness. I mean, that that's what the fruit of the tree of life represents, right? The end goal is experiencing and tasting of the love of God. So as we live the gospel. If we are focused so much on the performative and we lose the fullness of the scriptures, we would then create in ourselves a heart that isn't able to bear the presence of God. And by putting on this grand performance, we withhold the fullness of the gospel from those around us, therefore hindering those around us. But besides all of this, as I mentioned in the beginning, Christ doesn't, this the whole time in the New Testament, he doesn't just talk about the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers. He isn't going to tell us all the ways that we might be hypocrites. That's why we need the Spirit in order to spiritually survive, as President Nelson has told us. The Spirit is a great teacher and will help us course correct when we are headed in the direction of hypocrisy. But what Christ taught us most importantly is what we can do. In Luke chapter 11, verse 33, it says, No man... When he hath lighteth the candle, put it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they that would come may see the light. The Lord commands us to wear the gospel on our sleeve. The Lord commands us to be missionaries, so that as Nephi says in Second Nephi chapter 25, verse 23, we can persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Don't you love that word he uses, that we can persuade our children and also our brethren? Persuade. That is emphasizing that they have agency. We are to love, honor, and respect them. And ultimately, just like the Lord does, respect their agency. 
In Luke chapter 11, verse 41, we get another Joseph Smith translation that teaches us something that is possible for us. But if ye would rather give alms of such things as ye have, and observe to do all things which I have commanded you, then would your inward parts be clean also. Meaning that if we obey the commandments, we will not only be clean on the outside, but also on the inside, therefore worthy. How much better is that? Why go through all the effort of appearing righteous on the outside if we're doing nothing for our hearts? I guess the one way we have our reward, if we want the praise of men, perhaps, (laughs) but actually keeping the commandments gives us so much more. We're clean on the outside and the inside, and we are able to be useful to God and bring him glory. Throughout the book of Matthew, he speaks of ways that the scriptures are fulfilled. It's kind of his thing. In chapter 12, he quotes Isaiah's description of who the coming Messiah would be. And listen to this. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall shew judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive, meaning fight and quarrel, nor cry, meaning shout. Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. Now, in this next part, I'm going to get some help from our friend, Brother David Ridges, in his book, The New Testament Made Easier, to help us interpret it. Verse 20, a bruised reed shall he not break, which means he's not here to hurt the weak, the already bruised and broken, but rather to heal and help them and save them if they will. It continues, and smoking flax shall he not quench. A smoking flax is a tiny spark of smoldering material till he send forth judgment unto victory. So now that we know what all of that means, let me read it without the commentary. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. We can learn so much from the Savior. He fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy here. He came meek and mild to those who were broken and hurt and weak. He came with love first to those who wished for righteousness but didn't think that they could ever recover from who they had been. He never compromised the truth, but he had compassion and love for them. So my question for myself this week is, am I a Pharisee, scribe, or lawyer? Do I preach the gospel and then pridefully relish in superiority in my heart? Or am I like the Savior? Do I love first? Am I humble, submissive, meek, mild, kind? especially to those who are broken and hurt and weak and confused. In Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 81, verse 5, we have been commanded to be faithful, stand in the office which I have appointed unto you, succor the weak, lift up the hands which hang down, and strengthen the feeble knees. The Savior accused the lawyers of burdening the people, but the Savior also spoke of another burden, how his burden contrasts that which the Jewish leaders of the time had been putting on the people. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. As we share the gospel with those around us, is that the message that's coming across? that the Savior can give them rest, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light? I hope so, because of all of the truths that I believe in, I believe that the Savior can give me rest.
And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.